Well, good morning. How many of you have never heard of Don Potter? Raise your hand if you've or never heard of him. Well, good. I'm glad glad you're glad you're uh, going to be around. Maybe some came from California. I don't know if they'll still be here, but Don Potter is uh, he's known as the sound of the Judds. He um, he's got over 17 gold records. He came to know Jesus at a later age, and he's an amazing worship leader as he prophetically leads worship. It's, it's, it's over the top good, so I encourage you to be there. Um, over the next few weeks, I don't know if you noticed when you came in the door, but there is a permit on our door. Did y'all know, anybody notice that there's a permit on the door? Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Well, what that means is we're really going to mess this place up. That's what that means. <laughs> And so you need to prepare yourself every week for something different, and it's not going to be exactly comfortable. <laughs> so this is what I want you to promise me you're going to do this morning. Number one, you're not going to complain. No, say sad. No complaining. Look like 14 people and say no complaining. And I don't ever. I don't want to hear this statement. Well, if I was them, I'd do it like this. Say that. If I was them, I'd do it like that. No, I'm not going to do that, okay? <laughs> Somebody say amen. Yeah. This morning, if you've got your Bibles, you can open the Joel. I don't know that I'm going to get too much in that. I'm going to get some other things, but we're going to talk about the whole book of Joel. Joel is a, is a phenomenal book of the Bible. And you may not know this, but Joel actually means that Yahweh is God. That's what the name Joel means. Yahweh is God. Proclamation, right, right there. <laughs> he is an, uh, a minor prophet. And the reason he's called a minor prophet is because it's so short. Somebody say hallelujah for a short book of the Bible. It's only three chapters long, and there are 12 such minor prophets. The major prophets are the ones that have a little bit more links to them. Joel, uh, Joel was written uh, uh, by Joel, who was uh, a, uh, a prophet that probably was in the Judah area, but prophesied mostly in Jerusalem. Uh, he did that in between 1835 and 18, I mean, 835 B.C. and 805 B.C. So 800 years prior to the birth of Christ, you have Joel. The reason this is so important and, and dear to my heart this morning as I bring this message, which I think may be the, one of the most important messages that I've ever brought to this church. And so I really want you to pay attention. I've named the church, watch what you, I mean, named the message, watch what you hear. Watch what you hear. Say that out loud with me. Watch what you hear. Watch what you hear. This, this whole book is, is really divided into uh, two different sections. Uh, it really just talks about uh, the devastation that's going on. There's a bunch of locusts that come in. How many have heard about the locusts that are in Virginia and Pennsylvania currently? They're really concerned about They came from China. They're concerned about it eating everything. They're trying to make sure they kill all that stuff. And it's just an interesting thought that I'm preaching on Joel, and I read that in, on, on the news uh, this week. But uh, in this particular day, no, no locust infestation or devastation had anywhere come close to being this magnificent. I mean, it was they were eating 
all the vegetation. They ate all the crops. They ate all the seed to the crops. They were even eating the bark off the trees. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was an incredibly devastating time. There was nothing to eat for the cows, the sheep, or the people, so, it, so all were dying. And, and there, was, there was no hope. And, and Joel's conclusion was, this is the judgment of God on Israel. And so what he did was he called to the church and he said, call a sacred assembly. Everybody come together. Everybody repent of their condition and, and begin to pursue God again like we know we should be doing. And God can restore this quickly. If, if, if we'll get back right with him, doing what we know to do, then he can bring victory and prosperity faster to us, and there won't have to be so much death. Interesting thought, isn't it? When I think about, when I think about the whole term, watch what you hear, and you're going to see why I named it that, there was a prophet who was proclaiming the condition of the people and calling for repentance and prayer. Why is there a need for repentance? And what is repentance? Well, repentance is actually acknowledging where you are in disagreement with the ways of God, the thoughts of God, and the nature of God. And it's coming back to a place of alignment. Now, now the problem that we have as believers as the church, is we like to create God in our own image. We like to come up with this idea of this is who God is, and it is outside the Scriptures. Even when we say God is good, oftentimes that takes the context in our mind of something different than it's actually true, because God is good. He is a good God. He has plans for you to prosper, plans for you to be victorious. But in this particular case, in Joel, and in as he prophesied in just a little bit, and I'll tell you about that in section two of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the book, as he prophesies about the church and what the role of the church is, he's, he, he has this call to repentance to a place where we're uh, uh, getting back into alignment with God because the, they, were, they had gotten to the place where they were, um, they were quite proud of themselves. You know, what, what, gets, what gets in the way of humankind with God is we get impressed with ourselves. And we keep getting impressed with ourselves to the point where we start drifting from God because we think somehow that what we have to offer is actually enough. And so that makes us move away from God. And it's coming back to this place that we know that we have a need for God. And, and that's what Joel is calling them back to. And, and he says this in the book, and this is what I want us to understand. I want us to understand about the gospel because what Joel is doing is he is actually giving us the gospel 800 years before Jesus is born. And what he says about that, he says there's this great judgment coming, but this judgment that you see right now is nothing compared to the great judgment that, that's going to be in the future. And he says, if we'll repent, if we'll come back to God, then he's going to restore things faster and they, his grace will be poured out. Matter of fact, he's provided a way so that we can be victorious. But we have to align with him. 
And this great day of judgment is coming, and, and this judgment that we see now, we can even see the bodies that are contrary to God lined up, and we can smell the stench. We can smell the stench of the dead bodies that are in disagreement with God. There's going to be such a great judgment. Now, see, what we do oftentimes is we can't see that as good. Because what we see is this God that, who, who wants everybody to be saved, and that's exactly true. But will everybody be saved? It won't happen. And, and, the, and, and, the, and, the, and the problem with that is that, that that's going to be great judgment and great death. Well, who gets judged? Those who refuse to repent. Well, what does repentance mean? Let me go over that again. Those who create God in their own image instead of hearing who he says he is. Be careful what you hear. There is a, there is a political uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, <laughs> Well, that's good, too. I'm thinking about, so there's a political social media flow. That's what I, that's what I was, thank you so much. Social media thrust that is trying to get you to disagree with the ways of God. I mean, it, it, it's like huge. It, it is aligning itself. It is an anti-Christ thing that is aligning itself against the principles of the Bible. And so you better watch what you hear, and you better formulate your opinion about who God is based on what this says and not what you're hearing from other sources. Very, very important. So the book of Joel, Joel is naturally divided up in two sections. The judgment of God, a call to repentance, but then there's this promise of restoration. He promises to restore. The second part explains that this plague, this horrible plague, as horrible as it might be, is nothing compared to the judgment of God that's coming. There's going to be a time when not only Judah is judged, but the nations of the earth are going to be judged. And they're going to come before God. And it will be a time when the sounds of locusts will be muted, and the Lord, there will be a, a roar from Zion that, that the Lord brings about and as he brings judgment. And the heavens will be shaken, and there will be terrifying signs in the heavenly places, and the sun will be turned to darkness, I mean to blood, and the moon to darkness. And there will never be anything compared to that day. But then he says, there's going to be a time when there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about judgment. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about the promise of God coming and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in Joel chapter 2, he prophesies that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all people. And it's going to become the church age. And, and what's going to happen is that the church is going to become the voice to the world in the midst of chaos as Joel was in the midst of Jerusalem and Judah in his day. In the midst of this turmoil and judgment, the church is going to be the voice of God 
to a, to a, a group who really needs to hear the gospel of Jesus. It is our wonderful privilege of not only experiencing salvation ourselves, but also of being those who bring good news to everybody who will listen. What Joel was to the ravaged area of Judah, the church is to the ravaged world that we live in currently. And we are the prophetic voice bringing God's viewpoint into clear focus. And our job is to align ourselves with the Lord, call for repentance, and extend the hope of salvation from the final and terrible day of the Lord. And so when I talk to you this morning, I don't want you to be fearful, but I want you to be sober. I want you to understand that what God wants us to do, he wants us to be saved, and he wants us to be born again. Y'all heard that last week, right? I just want to, I want to get on that a minute, and I want you to understand clearly what the difference in those two are. Saved means you're saved from the judgment that comes from those who resist God. Born again means you align yourself with the kingdom of God that you are born into the kingdom and you begin to adopt his policies. And then you become the prophetic voice that he is. And you can't, you can't not do both. The only way you can be saved is to be born again. And, and you have to carry, be the kingdom carry. So what I want to talk about is I want to talk about watch what you hear because there's this voice that's all over the church that, that I think doesn't clearly define what it means to be born again. I, I think there's an easy believism. You, you guys have heard me talk about that before. But, but I really want to talk about how God has anointed the church to be his voice, his word, all the way to the end. And then... I want to talk about what it really means to be born again. And I really want you to ask yourself, am I born again? In John chapter 14, verse 15, lining up with what Joel says about judgment, repentance, this this place of restoration to God as we align with him and this place of promise, of God bringing victory, as Bethany was talking about. Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 14, 15 through 18, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Would you say that with me? If you love me, keep my word. If you love me, do that. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may... Abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. There's a promise from Jesus that that there's going to be this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was prophesied and only given to Joel. Joel's the only one who knows 
that there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, who knows that this church age, the, that the sand of the sea, this uh, sand on the beaches that are promised to Abraham and the stars in the sky are actually going to be the church, the ones who were born again, the ones who are in relationship with God, who are uh, partnering with God to become the prophetic voice to a world that needs to hear truth. Again, in John chapter 16, verse 5 through 24, Jesus goes on to talk, and he says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart, because he said he was going away. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin. What will he do? He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, what is right, and the judgment of sin, what's coming. Because they do not believe in me. They do not believe who I am. They have heard wrongly. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And everybody who aligns themselves with him instead of Christ. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't, you can't bear them now. You can't handle it. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I stand, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. He has done that in the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, you cannot... Hear the voice of God like you should. You've got to know the Word of God. And Jesus said he'll reveal the truth. He'll give you the proper image of who he is. He is equally judge as he is good. What he said, his love is this. His love is that he provided a way that you won't be judged. That's, that's his love. And that's the end of his love. His love said... There's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends so that you could come to me, be saved from the judgment, the terrible judgment that's coming, and you can be in alignment with me. When my spirit pours out on you, you'll know the truth. I'll remind you of what I said. You begin to agree with me no matter what the culture says. No, no matter what the world says, no matter what social media says, the opinions of others will be obviously contrary to the Word of God and become more and more so. And you'll have that spirit in you. And then you'll be able to be the prophetic voice like Joel to your generation. But we can't do that if our image of God is messed up. If we don't understand that, that he requires us to align with him. So we're saved from judgment, but we must be born again. Now, let me just talk to you just a moment 
about what it really means to be born again because that is a word that's in social media and people make fun of it. I mean, it, it is trashed today. Why do you think it's trashed? Why do you think there's a stigma with come, with, that comes with the born again group? Like, like if you claim to be that, you're an idiot. You don't have a brain. Somehow you're not as intelligent as the rest of the world because you're one of those born-agains. But Jesus said if you're not born again, you don't make it to the judgment. And the smell of your flesh is going to be crying out against the sons of God in that moment that they are saved. So this outpouring of the Spirit, this being born again, is prophesied by Peter. This Spirit comes upon it. It empowers, and it empowered the church, and the church was born in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Peter, who was a fisherman, who didn't have a clue about the word, was revealed to, and when he preached the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, identified Joel as the one who said, this is the birth of the church, this is the mission of the church, this is what the church was supposed to be about, what was prophesied in Joel. And, and he says, this is what you see and hear, this outpouring. Saved from judgment been born again. And so in Mark, Jesus is talking, and he's talking in parables. And he gives, this, he gives this picture of the sower. And he says, the sower sows the word. Say that with me. The sower sows the word. And John, John says that the word of God, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and he was the word. So, so you can say, you can fill in Jesus in that spot. You can say, and so the word was sowed. The Word of God was sowed. And these are the ones uh, uh, by the wayside. Now, the whole, the whole sermon there, how many are familiar with the S S Sermon of the Seed? How many are not familiar with the Sermon of the Seed? Let's go to Mark chapter 4. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. I feel like I need to get in that before I go any further. Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> the kingdom of God is, is if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by um, not a strong one. The parable of the sower explained. Okay, let's go back. We're in uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no crop, but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30, some 60, some 
hundredfold. And so you see seed being out. He was, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he explains the parable in verse 13. Do you not understand this parable? How then would you understand other parables? The sower sows the word. He sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So this is what we've got to understand. See, what we, what we want to do is we want to come up with some kind of doctrinal, theological, you know, explanation. Is this believers? Is it unbelievers? I mean, there's all kinds of things that come into our minds. But here's the truth. Here's the parable. Here's what we need to understand and we need to take seriously. The Word is Jesus. It is, it is sown on hearts. And the heart is the soil. That, that Jesus finds itself on. That the truth about who Jesus is and his nature and his character and what his word tells about him, it falls on different hearts. And, and the ones by the wayside where the word was sown, when they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. There's an acceptance of Jesus. And they have no root in themselves. They don't go deep and so endure only for time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises from the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones that are sown among the thorns. They are the ones that hear the word and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things, entering in, choke the word, and become unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30, some 60. So there's a heart that can receive Jesus that is actually changed and bears fruit. It begins to bear fruit of the kingdom. Now, here's the point. No matter what doctrinal background you come from, what really matters is the condition of your heart and whether you're actually producing kingdom or not. It, it really makes a huge difference. So what does producing kingdom mean? Well, this is what I want you to understand. Joel, 800 years, says this is going to happen. There's this great judgment that's happened, but this repentance can take place, and God wants to bless you. But there's coming a great day right before the great judgment that this judgment has no comparison to. There's coming a, a greater judgment, and before that day, there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's poured out just like it was on me, Joel. And, and, and it's going to be the prophetic voice to a nation, to nations that actually help them understand that there's going to be a great judgment, but there's a God who loves them, who wants good, who wants victory, who has provided a way that he can restore and redeem everything that was lost so they can be saved and born again. And whether you're 
Know whether you've got good soil in your heart is whether you're that prophetic voice. Are we the prophetic voice that has clear understanding of the nature and the character of God who can actually represent Him well with purity and righteousness so that the world knows the truth? Are we still just so impressed with ourselves that we've got the nature and character of God so messed up that nobody wants any part of God at all? He sows the word and it goes by the wayside. We've got to be careful what we hear. Because in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says this, Take heed what you hear. Say it with me. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Be careful what you hear, it matters. So what kind of soul do you offer? What kind of soul does your heart have when Jesus hits it? When the Word of God hits it? What kind of seed do you have? Jesus is the Word. Your heart is the soil we just sang just a minute ago that Jesus is in the throne upon the praises of our hearts. In Mark chapter 4, verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and it should sleep by night and rise by day. He should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and, and, and he, don't, he don't even know how. For the earth yours the crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, after that the full grain. There is a maturity process that happens in the life of a believer where we actually bear fruit and spread seed. But when... When the grain ripens immediately, it puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. There's a harvest that comes with that. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. Now this is the John. This is the John who is the love John. No, the one that Jesus loved. Listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. It's a, it's a powerful passage, when you think about what Joel prophesied, what was going on, the whole purpose of the church being the prophetic voice to the nations, like Joel was, to, to get them to a place of repentance because they're living in righteousness. So who is saved? Who's really saved? See what kind of love the Father has given to us. 
that we should be called children of God. Of God. And, and we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they do not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We're, we're in this process, and there's going to be a judgment, and then we're going to be transformed into our heavenly bodies, and it's going to be even more amazing. But we're in, we're in this place of being the prophetic voice to the nations currently. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so there's this posture of this idea of beginning to purify yourself where you, you don't create God in your own image. You actually might need to research the character and nature of God for yourself and quit looking at preachers to tell you who God is. Because there's a hundred different opinions by preachers that tell you who God is. But the Word of God will give you the truth about the nature and the character of our God. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. If the Bible says something is sin and you have this practice of that sin, you're lawless. Sin is lawless. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Say that. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. There, there is this bent that says, I really like this, my flesh says I really like this, and so I'm going to create God in my own image so I can get away with this sin. And God is saying through John that anybody who practices sin is not saved. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. They've never seen him or known him. If you keep practicing sin, now that's different than stumbling. It's this mindset that says, I'm, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I, I don't think God we're impressed with ourselves. I don't think God thinks that. And so that's just church talk. That's in born-agains. And there's a place that we really got to come to to realize our place in this time, in this culture. Jesus says this. He is asked the question, what is eternal life? And Jesus says, to know God and his son. It says here that if you keep practicing sin, that you don't know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Say that. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. How do you do it? How do you know you're saved? You're bearing fruit of righteousness. You're a voice to the nations because you're practicing righteousness. You're practicing the nature and the character of God. You may stumble, but your heart's desire, the soil that the Word of God falls on, 
is receptive and produces 10, 30, 100 fold. Let nobody deceive you by you listening to something that's not in here. That's contrary to the word that reveals the truth about Jesus. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Say that with me. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now, you have to define sin. What is sin? Sin is a way of thinking, a way of doing, a nature that's contrary to God's. You can't practice that. You have to align yourself with God. Joel would say, call the sacred assembly. Come together. Fast. Pray. Begin to pursue God. Align yourself with him. And because he is good. And he wants good for you. But there's only one way. That's God's way. He's provided the way. He is our righteousness. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. You know, I, I, was, I was just, I'm convicted and I'm challenged. First of all, by the whole idea of being the prophetic voice for the nation as an individual and making sure as a church that we are the prophetic voice of this city. But the question I have to ask myself, and I want you to ask yourself, is what kind of soil have you been? When Jesus gives you truth, do you reject it? Do you make up excuses? Do you, do you try to convince him that this way of thinking makes more sense? I mean, how do you respond? We do it in so many different ways. What we do is we push God away long enough that we can continue to do our own thing, and then we find ourselves away from God a little bit, and then we go, well, how'd I get here? How'd I get over here? Well, well, you, you created God in your own image. You, you, you said something about the grace of God that wasn't true. The grace of God is empowering you not to sin. 
The grace of God is empowering you to choose righteousness. First of all, to understand the revelation like Joel got the revelation. And then the empowerment to actually carry it out and be a prophetic voice to a nation. It's a supernatural event that the church was created to do and be. So what kind of soil are we? Am I born again? Or do I just think I got saved so I'm not going to go to hell? Well, you can't be both. You can't be one who chooses to practice sin and be saved. And, I mean, you hear it all the time. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I sin every day. You ever heard that? It's just an excuse to keep doing what you've always done. And God says, repent. Call the sacred assembly. Fast and pray. And look to the heavens because God wants to bring redemption. He wants to redeem the situation, the darkness. He wants to bring light to it. How does light come to your situation? It doesn't necessarily have to be supernatural. You come into alignment with the Word of God and it will make you prosperous. <laughs> Are you truly born again? And if the only message that the world got was your life, Would it, would it be a prophetic reflection of the Word of God? That's all I got. It's the, it's the assignment of the church. And so I'm challenged. I hope you are. If you're not sure that you're saved, if you're not sure that you've ever been born again, if you're not sure whether you've committed to a way of righteousness, I want you today, I want to pray for you today. I, I want there to be an all-out commitment. When I, when I say some of these scriptures, I, I want you to hear them. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for a heart, soil, that is solely devoted to him. So he, God, the creator of all things, can show himself strong through that man or that woman. He's just looking for soil. That the prophetic nature of God can manifest itself to the world who is about to be judged. If you've drifted and you're living a life that you have somehow settled in your mind or created an image of God that you can keep living the way you're living in sin and somehow you're going to be all right with God, I pray that this particular verse would touch your heart and that you would come to him and repent and ask him to forgive you. And, and align yourself with the Word of God. 
It's a scary place. There's no other way. God's love says, I give you a way to align with me. I love you so much, even though you don't deserve it, I've given you a way to align with me. Not only am I giving you a way to align with me, I want to empower you to align with me. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you and empower you to do so. Father, in the name of Jesus, may we hear the word of the Lord. May we be people who just, we, we, are, we are avoiding getting our ticket points so that we don't go to hell like, as, as much as we're avoiding anything. But we want to be a prophetic voice of God that is pure and righteous, not of our own works, but because of Jesus who empowers us to overcome sin. The old man is dead. Dead, dead, dead. And we've become alive to God. Father, help us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Anybody say Amen.